Section one of Passages from the Life of a Philosopher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Passages from the Life of a Philosopher by Charles Babbage. Section one. My Ancestors traced his descent through ages dark from cats that caterwauled in noah's ark salmagundi quarto seventeen ninety three what is there in a name it is merely an empty basket until you put something into it my earliest visit to the continent taught me the value of such a basket filled with the name of my venerable friend the first herschel ere yet my younger friend his son had adorned his distinguished patronymic with the additional laurels of his own well-earned fame the inheritance of a celebrated name is not however without its disadvantages the truth i never found more fully appreciated nor more admirably expressed than in a conversation with the son of philangieri the author of the celebrated treatise on legislation with whom i became acquainted at naples and in whose company i visited several of the most interesting institutions of that capital in the course of one of our drives i alluded to the advantages of inheriting a distinguished name as in the case of the second herschel his remark was for my own part i think it a great disadvantage such a man must feel in the position of one inheriting a vast estate so deeply mortgaged that he can never hope by any efforts of his own to redeem it without reverting to the philosophic but unromantic views of our origin taken by darwin i shall pass over the long history of our progress from a monad up to a man and commence tracing my ancestry as the world generally do namely as soon as there is the slightest ground for conjecture although i have contended for the mosaic date of the creation of man as long as i decently could and have even endeavoured to explain away some of the facts relied upon to prove man's long anterior origin yet i must admit that the continual accumulation of evidence probably will at last compel me to acknowledge that in this single instance the writings of moses may have been misapprehended footnote on the remains of human art mixed with the bones of extinct races of animals proceedings of the royal society twenty sixth of may eighteen fifty nine end footnote descent from flint workers let us therefore take for granted that man and certain extinct races of animals lived together thousands of years before adam we find at that period a race who formed knives and hammers and arrowheads out of flint now considering my own inveterate habit of contriving tools it is more probable that i should derive my passion by hereditary transmission from these original tool-makers than from any other inferior race existing at that period many years ago i met a very agreeable party at mr rogers's table somebody introduced the subject of ancestry i remarked that most people are reluctant to acknowledge as their father or grandfather any person who had committed a dishonest action or a crime but that no one ever scrupled to be proud of a remote ancestor even though he might have been a thief or a murderer various remarks were made and reasons assigned for this tendency of the educated mind 
I then turned to my next neighbour, Sir Robert H. Inglis, and asked him what he would do, supposing he possessed undoubted documents, that he was lineally descended from Cain. Sir Robert said he was at that moment proposing to himself the very same question. After some consideration, he said he should burn them, and then inquired what I should do in the same circumstances. My reply was that I should preserve them, but simply because I thought the preservation of any fact might ultimately be useful. Not through Cain. I possess no evidence that I am descended from Cain. If any herald suppose that there may be such a presumption, I think it must arise from his confounding Cain with Tubal Cain, who was a great worker in iron. Still, however, he might argue that the probabilities are in favour of his opinion, for I, too, work in iron. But a friend of mine, to whose kind criticisms I am much indebted, suggests that as Tubal Cain invented the organ, this probability is opposed to the former one. The next step in my pedigree is to determine whence the origin of my modern family name. Some have supposed it to be derived from the cry of sheep. If so, that would point to a descent from the shepherd kings. Others have supposed it is derived from the name of a place called Bab or Bab, as we have in the west of England, Bab Tor, Babacum, etc. But this is evidently erroneous, for when a people took possession of a desert country, its various localities could possess no names. Consequently, the colonists could not take names from the country to which they migrated, but would very naturally give their own names to the several lands they appropriated. Mais revenons à nos moutons. How my blood was transmitted to me through more modern races is quite immaterial, seeing the admitted antiquity of the flint workers. Sad omission. In recent times, that is, since the conquest, my knowledge of the history of my family is limited by the unfortunate omission of my name from the role of William's followers. Those who are curious about the subject, and are idlers, may, if they think it worth while, search all the parish registers in the west of England and elsewhere. The light I can throw upon it is not great, and rests on a few documents and on family tradition. During the past four generations I have no surviving collateral relatives of my own name. The name of Babbage is not uncommon in the west of England. One day, during my boyhood, I observed it over a small grocer's shop, whilst riding through the town of Chudley. I dismounted, went into the shop, purchased some figs, and found a very old man of whom I made inquiry as to his family. He had not a good memory himself, but his wife told me that his name was Bab when she married him, and that it was only during the last twenty years he had adopted the name of Babbage, which, the old man thought, sounded better. Of course I told his wife that I entirely agreed with her husband, and thought him a very sensible fellow. The craft most frequently practised by my ancestors seems to have been that of a goldsmith, although several are believed to have practised less dignified trades. In the time of Henry the Eighth, one of my ancestors, together with a hundred men, were taken prisoners at the siege of Calais. When William the Third landed in Torbay, another ancestor of mine, a yeoman possessing some small estate, undertook to distribute his proclamations. From this bit of high treason he was rewarded with a silver medal, 
which I well remember seeing when I was a boy. It had descended to a very venerable and truthful old lady, an unmarried aunt, the historian of our family, on whose authority the identity of the medal I saw, with that given by King William, must rest. Another ancestor married one of two daughters, the only children of a wealthy physician, Dr. Berthog, an intimate friend and correspondent of John Locke. A wild ancestor. Somewhere about 1700, a member of my family, one Richard Babbage, who appears to have been a very wild fellow, having tried his hand at various trades, and given them all up, offended a wealthy relative. To punish his idleness, his relative entailed all his large estates upon eleven different people, after whom he gave it to this Richard Babbage, who, had there been no entail, would have taken them as heir-in-law. Ten of these lives had dropped, and the eleventh was in a consumption. When Richard Babbage took it into his head to go off to America, with Bamfield Moore Carew, the king of the beggars, the last only of the eleven lives existed when he embarked, and that life expired within twelve months after Richard Babbage sailed. The estates remained in possession of the representatives of the eleventh in the entail. If it could have been proved that Richard Babbage had survived twelve months after his voyage to America, these estates would have remained in my own branch of the family. I possess a letter from Richard Babbage, dated on board the ship in which he sailed for America. Act of Parliament. In the year 1773 it became necessary to sell a portion of this property for the purpose of building a church at Ashbrenton. A private Act of Parliament was passed for that purpose, in which the rights of the true heir were reserved. End of chapter 1